That was amazing. Good. I really love the worship team. Honestly, I have had such a blast just listening to your worship team. Um, you guys know how to take, you know, good white songs and turn it into good rhythm. I love it. I love it. Anyway, let's just pray. Come on. Who's believing for something significant to happen tonight? See, wherever your expectation is, that's where God's going to meet you. So come on, stir your heart right now and dare to believe that literally because God is in the room, all things are possible. Lord, we acknowledge from the outset without you, we can do nothing, but with you, all things are possible. I thank you that you would stir from the front to the back. There would be no back row tonight, Lord, because all of us would lean right in to what you want to say and what you want to do. We're all candidates. We're all clay. Let your hand work in every single one of us that you would shift something tonight and cause us to be the men and women of faith you want us to be. Lord, we thank you that this nation will be saved, New Zealand and beyond. Father, we thank you, God, that their faith would rise to see the impossible happen. And Father, we acknowledge that what we're asking, we are the solution to. And so for that alone, we ask for your empowerment. We ask for your quickening. We ask for the kind of sharpening tonight that only the Holy Spirit of God can do within the heart of every human being. We quarantine the next 20, to half, 20 minutes to half an hour. We quarantine. Lord, we literally isolate it for you. Let nothing even outside the scope of that touch it. And I thank you that every heart is great soil, and from it would spring life and fruit because of what you're about to say and do in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. 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 God bless you. You may take your seats. So good to see you all here. And uh, how many of you, this is your first service today? I mean, you, this, you came out tonight. This is your first service. Oh, welcome. All of you, welcome. And to those of you that uh, were in the morning, um, welcome back. Um, uh, I just want to get straight into it tonight, if that's all right. Is, is that all right? Uh, look, I'm not a very funny guy. People think I'm funny. Uh, I think they're laughing at me, not with me. Uh, so we'll just see what happens. Matthew 25. <clears throat> Matthew 25. Jesus tells a parable. I want to read it. Verse 14. Guys, you should never disclose a woman's age. And this morning, I committed a big sin. In the second service, I told everybody that Jody was 34 years old. And for that, I'm truly sorry. And I've just realized I've perpetuated it again. Those who weren't here found out. Oh, wow. Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded. Everyone say traded. Traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money, his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of these servants came, settled accounts with them, so he received five, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had two talents, came and said, look, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful. Everyone say good and faithful. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you want a title for today, it's... Uh, use it or lose it. And as obvious as that sounds, uh, 
I understand that in speaking to a group as diverse as this, there are many kinds of personality types in the room. Anyone ever done those personality surveys? You know, they got phlegmatic and choleric and sanguine and melancholy and this type and that type. It's pretty, it's pretty confusing, but at the same time, apparently liberating. I'm not sure, but there's a way of discovering that each of us is actually created different. So when it comes to this whole area of talents, we've all got different amounts. When it comes to even our personality, you know, there's a thing called risk profile. I don't know if you've heard, your risk profile is basically your propensity to take risk. I have two boys, one is very risk averse. He's, he's, he's shy, he's quiet, he doesn't want to do much. The other one, he's willing to do anything. He'll, one is scared of animals, the other one puts his hand in the dog's mouth to see if it'll bite. It's totally, they're two sons from the same gene pool, but they're totally different personalities. Anyone who's had kids probably understands and relates. Now here's the thing, some people are risk Averse, meaning they don't like risk. They're just pretty conservative and they just want to live within their boundaries and their means and they do that. Other people are huge risk takers. And here's what this parable has taught me. And I've read it so many times. I've even preached for it multiple times. But there's a revelation that I want to share with you uh, that comes out of this that might shock you at first. There is no such thing as risk-free stewardship. This whole parable is about stewardship, what you do with what God's given you. Now, here's the shocking thought. There's no such thing as risk-free stewardship. So if you're not a risky person, I just want to say I'm not a risky person either. But if there's no such thing as risk-free stewardship, you're like, how can you say that? Well, the only guy in the parable who didn't take a risk was the third guy. And because, he, look, he didn't lose it, to be fair to him. He, did, he didn't want to do anything with it in case he lost it. And so the only guy out of the three who didn't take a risk was the third guy, and we saw what happened to him. So that puts a whole new slant on this parable as it applies to me and you today, because now having a risky profile or a risk-free character is, seems like a bigger deal. But I want to tell you that I'm not a risk taker. Personally, I'm an eldest child. I grew up in a conservative home. My parents were quite, you know, by the, by the rule and all of that. So I know, the, the idea of taking risk wasn't appealing to me, and it, it's not my nature. I'm like my eldest son in that sense. Yet when you look at what God has done, and people uh, have looked at what God has done in, in our church, Kingdom City, you know, in uh, uh, seven different countries, and it, it appears to the naked eye that we have taken ridiculous risk. We've empowered people that just no one else would empower. We've, we've just gone into places that people are like, are you sure you want to go there? Uh, what do you know about that? And all the sensible, conservative, careful principles that seem to mark my life seem to have gone out the window when it's come to how we've done church. And people can't work it out. They're like, aren't you a conservative person? I'm like, yep. You know, some people for their holidays, they jump out of planes. Some people for their holidays, they climb rocks. I don't jump out of planes. I don't cl climb rocks. I don't even climb ladders. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I'm not a risky person. Some people like go to casinos and invest in all sorts of trading shares and there's all sorts of things that come out. They get half scammed and sometimes they strike it rich. I don't gamble my money. I don't overly invest. So I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying as a person, I'm not a risk taker. So then people ask this, very sensible question. If you're, you know, if I was a crazy risk taker and I was living wild and always on the edge, people can understand, ah, oh, he's just taking his personality and that's how he leads the church, you know. Yeah, let's start there. Let's try that. Let's stop that. Let's move that. And they can't work it out because my personality does not match the way I'm stewarding what God's given me. And this is to encourage everyone here who's conservative and shy and cautious like me. You don't believe it, but I'm an introvert. I know you find that hard to believe. When I was growing up, I used to be so scared. My number one fear was public speaking. Number two fear was death. So basically, I would have been better off in a funeral in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> I, 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 I just hated the idea of confrontation. So nothing about my personality type should be excited about this parable. 
Because if there's no such thing as risk-free stewardship, meaning if you're going to be a steward of anything God has given you and do it well, you have to take risk. Some people, you've heard no doubt sermons where another word for faith is risk. Hebrew says without faith is impossible to please God. In other words, you can't bypass the faith thing to please God. Well, I don't do the faith thing, so I'll give to the poor. No, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Oh, I don't like the faith thing. Oh, I'll just sing lots of songs of worship. That's wonderful. Worship's needed. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Oh, I don't like that faith risky thing's a bit out there. So you know what? I'm just going to be nice to old people. That's great. Be nice to old people. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is saying the only way you can please me is faith. Let's use a more uh, corporate term, colloquial term. You've got to take some risk. And now all the conservative people are squirming in their seats going, ah. Because we think it's a personality thing. We think it's a how I'm wired thing. But I'm here to set everybody free from the fear that you can't take great risks for God. Because it's all well and good for us to amen when Pastor Tuck says New Zealand can be saved. But how do you think think that's going to happen? It's only going to happen when every single one of us takes our place and occupies the space that God has given us. And that means we've got to take some risks to see this thing come around. God wired us to prosper. God wired us to increase. God wired us to multiply. And you know, at the very core, faith is relational. People think faith is about risk profile. Faith is relational. If I went up to a stranger in the streets of Auckland and said, excuse me, can I have a hundred bucks? My faith or my expectation or my hope that I'd get it would be pretty small. Why? Because I don't know them. I mean, I might get it. Chances are I won't. But if I went up to my dad, my earthly father, and said, hey, dad, can I have 100 bucks? My faith, my expectation that I'd get it would be much higher. Same request, same need. My faith in this latter situation is much higher. Why? Because faith is relational. Because I know who I'm asking from, my expectation is that much higher. That's why people say, I want to grow in my risk-taking, I want to grow in my faith. What you're really saying is, I need to grow in my relationship with God. Because the more I know Him, what seems like a huge leap of faith to someone else is an ordinary step for me. And so now you realize it's got nothing to do with personality. It's got nothing to do with profile. It's got everything to do with how well do I actually know my God? Because if I know him to be, see, the third servant didn't know him. said, I knew you to be a hard and nasty man. He clearly didn't know the father. There was something about the first two that said, oh, man, look what, let's, let's go try this. Let's trade it. Let's risk it. Let's see what happens. They multiplied it, and the, and the master's like, well done, good and faithful servant. The third guy had a wrong understanding, and that wrong relationship is what lessened his risk ability. You're like, is this all about risk and stuff? I want to share with you, if you want a more spiritual term, I want to share with you three mindsets that will stir your faith. If you like the former, three mindsets that will encourage you to be more risk-taking. You know, I told you I'm a conservative guy, and so when people said, how have you done the church thing? Why have you been so reckless? When they mean reckless, that's a nice way of complimenting me. I take it as, why have you been so full of faith? That's how I receive it. I don't take it as reckless because it'll do my ego a lot of damage. Uh, But I want to share with you three mindsets, and I want you to digest this because this is going to launch you out because you will not be able to leave tonight. I'm just giving you a loving, loving warning. You won't be able to leave tonight and do nothing. So if you want to do nothing, maybe now's a good time to sneak out the door, but it's going to be awkward because that means you're doing something. But anyway, that's another point. So, everyone ready for this? Number one, God can use me while he changes me. I want you to process that for a second. God can use you while he changes you. Look at the person next to you, the one you like better, and just say to them, God can use you while he changes you. God can use you while he changes you. You know what you're really saying? Okay, buddy, I know you've got heaps of issues, but don't worry, have a go anyway. See, most people, so there are some people who vehemently disagree with this because they would come from the mindset, no, 
God's got to change me first, and once he's done with me, he can use me. I understand the idea of preparation and study and seasons of, you know, being trained by God, but do you realize only God has the ability to use someone and in the process change someone? How do I know this? Because this is my life. This is my story. I remember I quit law and I went into work for a church, and some of you heard the story this morning about how I went to hospitals, but what I didn't tell you is in those same three years, I went through major issues. So I'm hearing God in one setting and struggling in other settings, confused. And I look back over those three years and my highs were high, but my lows were low. And I look back and I go, how on earth did miracles happen out of that yo-yo of a guy? How did God use that guy? Yet that guy was on a constant journey of training and learning and discipleship and God dealing with stuff because God is the only being in the universe who can use people while he changes them. He goes, you know what? I want to use you to do great things for me. I know you got hangups. I know you got issues. I know you got fears. I know you got insecurities, but don't worry. I'll work on them while I use you. Some religious thinking goes, well, no, God needs to change me completely. And then I'm ready. The problem with that logic is if God changes you first and then uses you next, you and I will have pride in our preparation. Oh, it's because I was so well prepared. I so yielded to the Lord and I tithed my teens. And uh, no, 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 no. God gets all the glory when he uses messed up vessels like you and me. And we look and look, what, look at what the Lord has done. And well, I've, I've changed a bit. I would have, if I was God, I'd be changing people first and then using them. Not God. He's a crazy risk taker with humanity. Read the Bible and find out how many people he changed while he used. It's right through the Old and the New Testament. You know, um, I, I remember one day uh, having a shower. Um, I mean, I have a shower every day, but I'm just saying one day specifically. <laughs> I was in Malaysia, and, um, you know, I stand on the 10th floor of an apartment. This is the first year of the church. I was feeling a bit insecure about the church. You know, I went to plant a church in Malaysia. If you want to plant a church in Malaysia successfully, you've got to be at least 50. You've got to be married, and you've got to speak the language. At that time, I was zero out of three. So I go there to plant the church. I'm already feeling cr people criticizing, and the church is just starting. And I'm like, God, I've got, I'm messed up. I've got issues. Why do you want to do this? And I'm just, you know, having a shower, complaining to God. But the, the, the window of where the, the, the shampoo is leads to the um, outside. It's a high window. Instead of grabbing it, I knock it. And it falls out the window, 10 floors, and plummets to its death. So I had what they call a bloke shower, where you just basically just use water and nothing else, and you finish. And so once I'm done, I'm sitting there, and I'm just minding my business, and I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. Go down and pick up the shampoo bottle. I'm like, God, honestly. I'm like, is that you? I mean, this was before I was married, so the chances are it was God. Because once I got married, I couldn't tell whether it was my wife or God, but... <laughs> before. I wasn't married this time. I'm like, this must be God. So anyway, no, I was living in myself. You know, it must be God. So I, I get, get out, go down the lift, and I'm like, oh, I think this is God, you know, give me an integrity lesson. You know, you made a mess, go clean it up. So I literally go find around sort of where it fell, walk around the, the, the apartment. You know, I'm like, oh, what a pain. But anyway, uh, there's the bottle, the shampoo bottle's there in the bush. I pick it up. It's got all this dirt soil on it. It's got a big crack now down the middle, and I'm about to throw it in the bin, and I hear the Holy Spirit, the voice of God again. It's the same little voice. Don't throw it away. Go upstairs, wash it, clean it off, and use it again. I'm going, God, do, do, you, do you know how many things I need you to speak to me about right now in my life? And shampoo is not on the list. You know, I, I, I love these people who God speaks to them every three seconds. I'm not one of those people. I'm not sure if it is God who speaks every three seconds, but that's another sermon for another day. But the point is, I'm like, is it? Oh my gosh, God's speaking to me. So I take this shampoo bottle upstairs and literally as I'm doing it, I start to become overwhelmed with emotion because I realize what God's saying to me. He said, son, this is what I've done with you. All of us have fallen from a high place and been broken. And God himself came from a high place to a low place to pick us up and put us back in our right place. And he said, I've washed you. I've cleaned you. I've taken the mess off you. That's who you were. That's not who you are. And as you, and you know, here's the amazing thing. For the next two weeks, I got good mileage out of that shampoo bottle because even though the bottle was cracked, the stuff inside was good. 
See, the Bible says we have this divine treasure in earthen vessels. All you and I are are broken shampoo bottles. In fact, for the next two weeks, the shampoo came on much easier through the crack than that silly pump thing that never works any half the time. Do you know the God in you will come out clearer through your brokenness than your perfection? Religious people hate that. Religious people are right now very angry that I'm even speaking tonight. Because here's the point. The idea that God can use you and change you at the same time is what makes God, God. And that's why when he does anything supernatural, I get no credit. He gets all the glory. When anything good comes out of my life or your life, he deserves all the glory. Because when you look carefully over your life, he used you and changed you at the same time. I mean, look at this. You guys are coming to date night to give your pastor's marriage counseling. And they're planting churches all over the world and New Zealand and beyond. And God can use people while he changes them. That's cool. Samuel, I'm not sure whether you should laugh at that point. Just have a laugh. You know, this this whole idea, you know, what's this got to do with taking risk? Some of us are not stepping out because we feel not prepared. We feel not qualified. We feel not worthy. Oh, you want me to lead that? Uh, no, you don't understand. You, you really knew what was going on in my life. God knows everything that's going on in your life. And he says, yeah, I get it. You're offended, but I'm not. I can use you while I change you. And yes, I'll work on that character issue. And yes, I'll we'll deal with that issue. I'll deal with that fear. I'll deal with that insecurity. Just say yes. Do you know I found out tonight that talk means yes? In some language. Tavalu. What language? Croatian. Ukraine. Ukraine. Look at that. Talk means yes. Just say yes. See, when, you, when God says, will you, he, he knows your CV. He knows the cracks. He knows how messed up you and I are. And so many people don't take risks because we don't understand that this should actually be a mindset and a conviction. Hey, God can use me while he changes me. I'm not going to sign up because I'm good. I'm signing up because he's good. And because he's God, all things are possible. God can use anything and anyone if we would dare believe. And if this becomes a mindset, all of a sudden you start taking crazy risks for God. You don't count yourself out because you never counted yourself in. You were just willing to step out. You're willing to do anything. You're willing to do crazy things for God. And by the way, some of us relate to that story, and then we get into leadership. Once we get into leadership, I'm sorry I used a British accent, unnecessary. The point is we then become all self-righteous and religious. Oh, that young guy, he's not ready. Oh, they, 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 nah, too immature. No, 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 too, no, they're not And when you start talking like that, just remember you were that once. And God used you when you weren't ready. When is anybody ready? Look at the motley crew of 12 Jesus picked. None of them were ever ready. And and we can get into leadership and start becoming a little weird and stop taking risk with people. So you know what? All our pastors, we're meeting together this week. Tomorrow I fly to Malaysia. I meet my family there. And all our pastors are getting together. They're the most random bunch. They're hardly holy. I mean, they're not like demon-possessed and stuff, but they're, they're, they're just ordinary people with issues. The idea that we need to somehow transcend all of that to become, that's what stops us from taking risk and saying yes to God. Say yes regardless of who you are because of who He is, and He can use me and change me at the same time. That'll keep me going. Do you realize Jesus, with His 12, he, you know, how many would like Jesus to personally mentor them? I mean, that's pretty cool. You get drafted by Jesus. Jesus teaches you. He blesses you. He prays for you. He heals your mother-in-law. I don't know if that's good or bad, but he does all this stuff. You know, he's doing all this amazing stuff. And then Luke 9, he sends them out to a mission trip. It's an amazing mission trip. You've got to read Luke 9 sometime when you have the time to read the whole chapter. And he's, you know, he anoints them. He breathes on them. He gives you power and authority. And then he goes, they go on a mission trip. And in this mission trip, if you read Luke 9 as a whole mission trip, it's pretty funny. Because the, they, they can't heal the guy, the little boy. So they have lack of authority. Then they, he starts explaining he's going to die. And the Bible says they lack understanding. So on the mission trip, they lack authority. And they lack understanding. Then they start arguing over who's the greatest. They got ego issues. So they lack authority, they lack understanding, they got ego issues. Then they start arguing about sectarianism. 
big word, but basically they're like exclusive. Well, no, they're not for us. They're with us. Just like, oh my God, stop it. Honestly, guys, doesn't matter. Just let them go. And then, and then they want to call fire down on the village. And it's like, oh, geez, going, oh, wrong testament. Guys, honestly, we don't kill people nowadays. We actually try and save people. This is the one mission trip at the start of the chapter. Jesus himself has laid hands on these guys, breathed on them, and in this mission trip, they like authority, understanding, they got ego issues, they got their clickiness, and they're calling fire down in the wrong way. If that was me leading the trip, I'm like, time out, no more mission trips for at least another three years. We are all going deep into the word, and we're going to sort out your stuff out. I mean, do you understand? I mean, to me, this is a bad mission trip, mentored by Jesus himself, the Christ. But you know what's remarkable? If you read Luke 10, literally following that Luke 9, the last one was calling down fire and no one's got any place to lay their head and it's a pretty sad mission trip. Luke 10 verse 1 says this, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city. Basically, Jesus is like, that was a great mission trip. I'm really happy. Well done, boys. Good job. Let's get another 70 as well. I'm like, Jesus, are you serious? They had no authority, they had no understanding, they had ego issues, they're fighting over stuff, they're calling fire down the wrong way, and you're like, that's a good mission trip, let's get another 70. These are the ones you've worked on. Don't tell me God's not a risk taker. You know why Jesus called another 70? Because he can use people and change them at the same time. So let's make sure in the way we look at one another, let's make sure in the way we relate to one another, that we say yes to God. We take crazy risk for God. You don't have to be a risky profile person. You just have to have this fundamental belief that God can use me while he changes me. So I'll keep saying yes to whatever's placed in front of me. Amen. Here we go. I'll give you a couple more. This is, this is, this is, this is a cool one. Point number two is ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim. Now, you're like, what's wrong with this guy? It's intentionally designed that way because, you know, when it comes to saying yes to God and taking a risk, so many people are ready, aim, fire. Now, that's the way it should be when you're holding a gun. But when it comes to walking with God, it's more normally ready, fire, aim. Because some people are so conservative can you join the prayer ministry? Well, I've got to pray about it. <laughs> We'd like you to get involved in this mission trip. Oh, I've just got to make sure I've got to check everything lines up. And so they're ready. Aim, 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 aim. I'm just checking all the due diligence. Aim. The bunny has left the country, but they're still aiming. They never fire the gun for God because they're due diligence hungry. They are drunk on preparation to such an extent. And God says, just go. You know, because of the, at the heart of it, they have more trust in their aim than God's ability to guide the moving bullet. If you would fire, God's hand will guide it because he is able to finish what you started. My aim is not that good anyway. All our preparation is, and I, please hear me, I studied, I believe in preparation. You might think I'm a very irresponsible person after this sermon, but I want to tell you, I believe in all of that, but sometimes we get so full of aim, God says, just fire, just go. Ready means I've spoken, fire, and then I'll work it out. Go to Malaysia. Okay, now what am I doing again? Ready, fire, aim is not an irresponsible uh, thing. You know, it's like, what did I know about Botswana? Nothing. Well, I knew it was in Africa. What did I know about Dubai? Not much, to be honest. You're like, yeah, but shouldn't you have done more like three years of research for every city before you prayed about and thought about? I'm like, yeah, I did. I'm like, God, do we go? Yeah, I feel, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, all right. Well, let's do it. Oh, let's do a church in Botswana. You're like, nah, it can't be that easy. Listen, I, I'm simplifying it a little, but I am here to tell you that sometimes we don't step out for God because our ready aim fire has too much aim and not enough fire. And if we would learn just to say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you and step out. How much due diligence did Peter do before he got out of the boat? Well, let's see, the velocity of the waves, times by the... the, the you can't do diligence a step of faith. Because then it's not faith. Do you realize that 
we, we, we do this even when it comes to God. We do this when it comes to dating. I mean, the story of how I met my wife is quite a crazy story. Have I told you guys the story? I did, didn't I? Okay. Uh, it's, it's, I'll give you the short version. If my wife was preaching, you'd have the 15-minute version. Mine is going to be the five-minute version. When I met my wife, basically, in a nutshell, we were total strangers. In fact, I've got a picture of her somewhere. I think it's on there. Oh, there you go. That's my wife. And that's our two boys, Zeke and Caleb. So my wife's beautiful, so it wasn't hard for me to fall in love with her, but... Her falling in love with me is a whole other question. So I'm a pastor in, 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 in the church in Cal. I've just started the church. All these missionaries come down, and uh, she's one of 50, and, and she comes to the side of stage. I said, all the leaders come and share what God has done this week. My church is 50 people at this time. That night, it had 100 people because 50 white people came from Australia. I'm like, woo, double, praise God. And so she comes in. She comes on stage. I'm like, do I know you? She's like, no. I'm like, are you sure? She's like, yeah. And in her version of the story, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the spear goes through her heart. She's like, oh my God, why do I feel like this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> now, I'm not even exaggerating. Anyway, she comes on chairs and we have this brief three-minute exchange on stage. That's it. People think it was a line. It wasn't a line. I was just curious. I was focused on the service. I was a good senior pastor, not noticing the women. I was actually <laughs> doing my job. People have blown that story way out of proportion. I was just asking if I'd met her. Anyway, so that's it. Four months later, she comes through. She's on a mission trip to India. Now we know what the mission trip was, and it was an Indian, not India. And she comes through, again. <laughs> she, she comes through, and she, uh, she stops, with, this time with a few people, and I'm like, oh, you're the pastor from Brisbane, youth pastor. And, you know, there's this loose network, we call it. You know, everyone sort of knows everyone. But really, at that point, people were trying to set me up with everyone. They felt sorry for me. It's like if you, if you were female and a pulse, you were set up with me at some point. And so it was, like, quite embarrassing. So I just didn't give it too much attention. Anyway, I'm thinking she's come all the way with the whole team, and, oh, uh, you know, I should have a coffee. There's, you know, she's attractive, but you know, she's a pastor in Brisbane. This is not going to happen. So we go out for coffee. We go to Starbucks, which is where you go to coffee and we sat there and we talked for about three hours relatively superficial meaningless discussion not like what are you looking for in a spouse none of that it was just like you know hi how are you what are you doing you know all loose whole time I'm hearing a voice in my head this is your wife this is your wife this is your wife I'm going you know shampoo bottle all right I'm like I don't know what's talking to me but anyway I could hear this voice and I'm like she, we were about to finish this coffee, and uh, she's going to go back to Brisbane. I'm never going to see her again. I've got to say something. Uh, so I'm like, um, three hours into the coffee, how do you feel? Which is a stupid question to ask <laughs> with no context to anything. <laughs> like, do you want the air content up or down? I don't know. She, she must have gone, what's wrong with this guy? And she goes, what do you mean? Which is fair enough. And I'm like, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm having coffee with my wife. And as soon as I said that, I thought, oh, no. You are a first-class idiot. Oh, my gosh. She's going to stand up, slap you, walk out of this coffee shop and go, what sort of line is that? Is this how you integrate the new people in your church? I don't know what she was thinking. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't rewind. I can't grab the way. She's, to my shock, she sits back, smiles in her chair and goes, yeah, I think you are having coffee with your wife. What she said shocked me more than what I said. I'm like, are you, are, you, are you for real? She's like, yeah, are you for real? I'm like, no, I don't normally say that. She goes, no, I've never said that either. I'm like, this is our first coffee. Anyway, for the next 15 minutes, as only a female can, she goes back and reminds me of the time she met on stage and all the signs, this prophecies and scriptures and the prophet said this and she texted her dad and blah, blah, blah. And it dawns on me 15 minutes into her signs. I'm like, oh my gosh. She's come to this coffee expecting this to happen. She brought her catalogue of signs. She was ready for this. I'm like... And, at the, and then at the end, she sits back once she's finished, like, thinking this was supposed to happen. Why did this doofus take three hours to get there? And I'm like... She's like, so tell me, what's your signs? I said, have you heard my sermon, Ready, Fire, Aim? No, 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 I didn't say that. I'm like, what are my signs? Be cool now. I'm like, uh, I've got no signs. I've just been hearing a voice in my head, this is your wife, and I feel real good. <laughs> She's like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's it. She goes, how do you know that's not just your feelings? And right there, we started our first fight. We weren't even engaged. <laughs> uh, she goes, well, what do you mean? That, that's all. I said, yeah, I know it's a voice, and to you it might be strange, but it's the same voice that... 
that I heard when I, said, when I did law. It's the same voice I heard when I quit law. It's the same voice I heard when God told me to go to Malaysia. Same voice he told me when he said, it's the same. I've learned to hear that voice. Now, I know this is a big call. Anyway, so she's like, oh, wow, that coffee, we planned our wedding. She goes, well, I said, when are we going to do this? She's like, well, I finished my master's in August. It's now April. I said, yeah, we could start the new year together. How about September? Yeah, that's a nice weather. Yeah, so we nailed the date at our first coffee. I said, yeah, I'll go to Brisbane, ask for permission. Let's be honest, it's happening. Uh, We go to Perth, meet my folks. We'll meet at the wedding. That's our first coffee. We booked the wedding date and everything at our first coffee. And... On the wedding day, when she was walking up the aisle, it was the fourth time we'd seen each other face to face. We had a very expensive phone bill in those five months, but that's literally, and you're like, that is, you know, when I tell this story to youth, young adults, I'm like, this is not an example to follow. (laughs) Please, nobody go up to this coffee shop and go, hey, I feel like I'm having coffee with my wife. (laughs) Don't do that. I did not say do that. Now... The, the simple point is this. You're like, you're easy for you. You had a voice in your head. Yeah, you're a pastor. You're, you can hear God all the time. No, do you realize we all have the same ability slash inability to hear God? Do you know when it comes to hearing God, it's a journey. It's a growth. I could keep you here for hours telling you when, you know, when I was in uni, I wanted to hear God so badly. God, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. All these pastors hear your voice. What do you sound like? And I was on this mission to hear the voice of God. And I'm like, I know God. I'm going to step out in faith. Ready, fire, aim. I'm going to just go up to a random person and Tell them what their name is. I did dumb things like that. So I, I would go up to a lady in the ice cream store, like, Lord, what's her name? And I'd hear Dolores. So I'd walk up to her go, hey, uh, is your name Dolores? She's like, no, it's Anne. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, Anne, two scoops of cookie and cream. That's all. I'm thinking, oh, you watch Sister Act. You shouldn't have listened. You've got to hear God more clearly. And, uh, but I would try I didn't hear voices clearly. It's a journey. You've got to keep firing the gun and God will eventually hone the direction. You know, I remember being in a prayer meeting and then they said, Mark, can you pray for this guy's uh, boss? And I'm like, I heard a name, Rob. I'm like, remember Dolores. Don't say his name. Don't say his name. Consciously, in a small group. And I'm like, I pray for him. I can't help it. I'm like, what's your boss's name at the end? He's like, Rob. I'm like, oh, Rob, I got it right then and I didn't say anything. This is how we learn. If you really want, you hear all the highlight reels of all the miracles and all the words of knowledge. This is how you learn. I'm a law student interning at a law firm, walking up to the Supreme Court with a law intern. Her name's Lucy. And I'm like so hungry to hear the voice of God. God, give me a word of knowledge for Lucy. We're walking to the, it's not Sunday. It's like midweek going to work. And I stop at the traffic light and I'm like, Lucy, does your mum have breast cancer? She's like, no, does yours? I'm like, no, but it's important that we encouraged them to get regular checkups and kept walking on. I got more stories than you would like to hear about, you're like, this guy married her on a voice? This guy went to a Muslim country on a voice? See, you gotta understand, the more you fire the gun, the more God eventually aims the bullet. Nobody wants those stories, nobody tells those stories because you think somehow angels come all the time. They don't, it doesn't happen like that. You know how I've taken crazy risks with God? Because I've done dumb things like that. It's, it's a journey of learning to hear God. It's a relational journey. This risk thing, this faith thing is not about personality. It's about loving God, knowing Him, and wanting to do everything you can for Him. So you'll even take some risk, and you'll even put yourself out there so that you'd even marry a stranger over a cup of coffee. Okay, last one, and then I will finish. Number three, live on green. Live on green. You're like, what? Does that mean I have to drink celery juice all my life? No. <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean traffic lights. Live on green. Do you know, very simple to understand. A lot of people, their mindset, their default is that every traffic light is red. I live in God like every traffic light is green. What does that mean? It's a mindset. Meaning... I assume God is for me. We sang it. God is fighting for me. And then, Lord, Lord, you haven't said anything to me in a long time. He's for you. The answer is yes. All God's promises are yes and amen, not no and maybe. Which means it's a default setting. So let me give you an example. When, you, when someone wants to take a risk for God, there's two camps of people. There are those who go, God says yes, and if I hear a no or a check, I'll stop. And there are others who are like, I'm not doing anything until God says yes. I'm not saying one's right and wrong. 
But I want to encourage you that if you're going to do great things for God and you always live with a red traffic light mindset, you'll rarely do anything for God. Remember, do you want to join the prayer team? Well, I need to pray about it. God, you need to speak to me. Do I join the prayer team? I need three signs. You're assuming God's answer is no, and he needs to show you three times yes, so you join the prayer team. It's, it's ridiculous when you think about it. I'm not talking about unrighteous choices. I'm talking about where if you start with a yes, you know, don't drive like this, by the way. <laughs> live like this. In Malaysia, drive like this. It doesn't make any difference. But live with a confidence that God is for you. Do you know, when you do that, it look, by the way, I need to throw this caution out there. If, you've ne- if you live on green, but you've never felt an amber or a red, you don't know if it's God or your presumption. So I am saying, I have heard the no of God, not you, not now, no, later. And if you've never heard that, make sure you get some counsel before you do anything silly like me. But here's the point. It is a much more freeing way to live your life, to go, God is for me. His promises are yes. I'm assuming. So people go, are you guys going to plant a church in China? I'm like, yes. Are we? Because my answer is not no. I need 40 days of prayer and fasting, and then, oh, Lord, are you opening the doors of China to me? Oh, I don't see China. I don't see anything. No, there must be. Now, it doesn't mean I'll plant a church in China, but you know, you do crazy things for God when you assume the light is green, but you're sensitive to the orange and the red. As opposed to thinking every light is red and God needs to flash green. If Pastor Tuck wears a bright green shirt, the answer is yes. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Look at this. His name means yes. He's wearing green. It's a sign. That's it. I'm going to join the prayer team in the next three years, I promise you. I mean, it's ridiculous how people live so conservatively because they assume God's got every light as red. And it comes with a good heart because they they don't want to mess it up. But the guy with one talent didn't want to mess it up. Didn't end good for him. I want to stir your heart that if you absolutely believe God can use me while he changes me, that my mindset is going to be ready, fire, and God, I trust you to aim the thing. And I live on green all of a sudden, you realize you're going to do far more than not. Paul wanted to go into Asia. Holy Spirit says, don't. You know why he didn't say, Asia, 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 Lord, I need a yes. He assumed, and then the Holy Spirit said, no. Holy Spirit does say no. Holy Spirit does say wait. He does say not you, not now, and no. If you've never heard that, I'm a little concerned for you. There's another class called go and hear the voice of God, and you need to go and do that one before you live on green. But... If you've heard the note, switch the default so that you, you know why Paul was so proactive? Because Jesus had already said, go into all the world and make disciples. He'd already given the green light. He's given the green light for you to change New Zealand. You don't need another prophetic word. Church Unlimited is going to change New Zealand. It's already been given. Go and change New Zealand. Go from here and say, yes, God, the traffic light's green. Ready, fire, aim. Oh, God, you can use me while you change me. I'm going to live a different life. Now you understand why an introverted eldest child can take crazy risks for God. It's not a personality transplant. It's some convictions that have started to anchor the way we live our life. And when I read the parable of the talents, I realize I've got no choice because there's no such thing as risk-free stewardship. You can't be a good steward and be risk-free. Do you know, it always troubled me, and maybe we'll get uh, the worship leader, uh, who's amazing. What's his name? Matt. Where's Matt? Where are you, Matt? Matt, you're anointed. You're talented and anointed. You're amazing. Can you come and help me, you know, make this last part of the service good? (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Um... You know, I, I always struggled with this parable in this regard. The, I thought it was very harsh that the master said, you wicked and lazy servant. I always thought that was a bit heavy. Did anyone, anyone like that? I'm like, I can understand that he was lazy, but I didn't know why he was wicked. He didn't kill anybody or anything. Like, if, you know, if, if he did nothing with it. Yep, lazy, fair enough. Lazy is a fair report card. Wicked? I'm like, God, but why is he wicked? And the Lord spoke to me. And gave me an example of, and it changed my whole paradigm. Imagine if I said, Sam, here's a thousand bucks. I'm going to come back in a week and see what you did with it. And I come back, I'm like, Sam, what'd you do with it? Oh, I need to be a hard man. I didn't do anything. I'm like, Sam, you're lazy. That would be fair enough. He's not wicked. 
But you imagine if the instruction was a little bit different. Sam, I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. I want you to take care of Jody and your children. And I'm going to come back in a week and see what you did with it. And I come back and he goes, oh, didn't do anything with it. Here's the thousand bucks. He's now not just lazy, he's actually wicked. Because his laziness has robbed the people around him of the reason he got the talent in the first place. And then you realize this whole talent thing is not about me and you. It's about everybody around us. It's about New Zealand and beyond. It's about all the people God has put in our world. And so me being a lazy servant is actually also wicked because it's robbing everybody else. My laziness steals from everyone else. Just that simple example helped me understand, wow, God, I don't have a choice. I have to take a risk. I have to live filled. And you know what? Faith is relational. We already talked about it. So this is not about being reckless. This is about knowing God more. And the more you know God, the crazier things you do. People give Peter such a hard time because he started to sink when he walked on water. I think he's an absolute legend that he even tried. You know, and people say, well, Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Do you know if you actually understand when he said little, he didn't mean quantity. He didn't mean, Peter, your faith is so small. He didn't say that. The word little, if you look at it, it doesn't mean small in quantity. It means fleeting in time. He said, Peter, you of little faith, meaning your faith was great. It was just momentary. If you had stayed in faith longer, you could have come the whole way. Nothing wrong with the size of your faith. There's something wrong with the duration of your faith. You of momentary faith. So many of us start in faith, start with risk. And we start doing great things for God and then hurts happen, issues happen, things happen. And we, our faith becomes momentary rather than long-lasting. Recently, a leader said to me, oh, listen, Mark, you can't be leading the church the way you did when you started. You can't gamble with 13,000 people's lives. And I just respectfully looked and said, um, the, the minute I think I've got something to lose, I've already lost it. When you start, nothing to lose, doesn't matter. You know what? These people don't belong to me. They belong to God. My job is to hear God and keep living on the edge and keep living where God, this church is on the edge. It's the last 18 months you've started to live on the edge and do things. People are like, is that wise? Unbelief often dresses up as wisdom. That's not wise. No, you just got no faith. And don't discourage the risk takers. Don't discourage those coming through because you lean back on the word of God. God can use people while he changes them. We're all just broken shampoo bottles. Live on green and start firing this thing because God can move the, the, the bullet. He can guide the moving bullet. See, there's nothing. You go, my mistakes could foul up the kingdom. You're not that important. My biggest mistake could ruin his name. No, his name's pretty good. Many people have tried to ruin his name. They couldn't. Those against him and those even for him. He's greater. We sang it. He's higher. He's bigger. And so you and I get drafted into the most godly invitation to live outside the boat, to take crazy risks of faith, to go up to strangers and go and to love the unlovable and to forgive the unforgivable and to do things because we want to amen. Your pastor's even wearing a green t-shirt to say live on green. He's even given you a prophetic illustration of the message which he didn't know I was going to speak about. His name means yes and he's wearing green. There could be no more prophetic sign that God wants you to step out of the boat and stay out of the boat because don't have momentary faith, have long lasting faith. I close with this story and maybe the worship team can come and join me because I feel like what we're going to do in a moment is actually, I told you, I warned you, you're not going to leave this place and do nothing. And so in a moment, we're just going to respond to this moment and they're going to hand back in a moment. But I feel God wants to activate what he started to agitate. Some of you are feeling like, squirming, like, oh, I've got to do something. Oh, God, all right, all right, I get it, yeah. God is about to breathe on that thing. Do you know, a couple of years ago, I was genuinely feeling nervous because we had already sort of stretched ourselves pretty thin. We were sort of four cities, four different countries. And I felt God speak to me about Botswana and Manila in the same year. I'm like, God, that's just too much, too much to bite. I'm not going to be able to sustain it. Da, da, da. And I was feeling a bit, eh, even for my crazy risk-taking self. And I'm like, oh. And I'm in South Africa. And I'm literally uh, walking to the hotel buffet or the breakfast. And there's a man who sees me goes, you, come over here. I'm like, he's like, I recognized who he was. His name is Steve Penny. He's a prophet. And, and he didn't know me, but I knew him. And I'm like, oh, hi, it's, you're Steve Penny. He's like, yeah. He goes, Are you, um, you're, you're the guy with the church in Perth. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, sit down, sit down. Well, 
sir. So I sit down, and he goes, um, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I went to Perth a few years ago, and I was wasting my time doing nothing. He's a pretty blunt guy. All prophets are pretty blunt. Anyway, he's like, oh, I was wasting my time doing nothing. My like, God, what am I doing here? I'm wasting my time. Tell me something about Perth. And God spoke to me and said, I'm giving the keys of the city to an Indian man. And uh, I'd heard about uh, you, so I asked one of my friends, Lucas Connell. I'm like, what's that guy's name? You know, what is he? And uh, Lucas said, Sri Lankan. And I know you're Sri Lankan, but it doesn't matter. You're close enough, all the same. <laughs> I'm just sitting there looking at him like, who is this guy? Anyway, he's uh, like, you know, I've been looking all over for this Indian man from Perth, but can't find any, and you must be close enough. I'm like, uh, sir, uh, uh, I'm not actually Sri Lankan. Uh, I'm Indian. He goes, you're not? You're not, you're not Sri Lankan? Lucas, God, I'm going to kill that guy. Blah, 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 blah. Like, he's made me look for two years because God told me clearly. It was the keys to an Indian man, and I'm looking for an Indian. He goes, you're the man. I'm like, oh, am I? He goes, yeah. He goes, and uh, the Lord said to tell me that whatever you're praying about right now, keep going. The nets won't break. He knows nothing about what we're doing or where we're going. And God, at the moment, I got momentary in my faith. And I'm like, oh, maybe God, this is actually too much even for me. This is too much for us. You know, uh, God says, hey, keep going. Keep going. Keep walking. The nets won't break. And you know what? Just a little word like that. I don't need many signs. We're homeschooling our kids next year. People are like, don't do that. Homeschool kids turn out funny. I'm like, no, God told me. Now, if you've been homeschool kid, you've homeschooled yourself, please. You're probably awesome. But these are the other people that I've heard about. Um, LAUGHTER and, and I'm like, God told me to homeschool the, the, the kids. And I'm like, God, I don't know if it's going to work. But you know, the next day, Jemima rings me. I'm in Malaysia. She's like, honey, you're not going to believe it. The kids don't want to go to school today. They didn't even know. They never complain about school. For three days in a row, they didn't want to go to school. I'm like, that's a sign. See, I see a sign in everything. I'm a dangerous kind of person. I marry a stranger over a coffee because I heard a voice in my head. But I think what the world calls crazy, God looks and goes, yeah, that madman, I can do something with him. I think there's something in every single one of us here tonight that wants the adventure of following God. And I'm here as a test case witness that you don't have to be a risk taker to be a risk taker for God. I'm a not a risk taker in nature, but for God, I will go, I will do, I will say yes, I will live on green. And God, the rest of my life is yours. I don't want to be called the wicked and lazy servant. Do you know what did he call the good guys? Good and faithful. Do you know good and wicked is your heart? Faithful and lazy is your hand. There are a lot of good and lazy Christians. Good hearted doing nothing with their talent. And in the world there's a lot of wicked and faithful people in the sense that their hearts away from God but they're good stewards of what they've been given. God wants good and faithful. Your heart right and your hand multiplying. Not wicked and lazy, not even good and lazy. Definitely not wicked and faithful and not wicked and lazy. He wants good and faithful. Look at the person next to you say, good and faithful. Say, that's what you are. Say, God can use you while He changes you. Ready, fire, aim. Live on green. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now. Let's stand, let's stand.